nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Karim Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Times ended up almost looking like a 6-3-1. Some very good writing about that on the Managing Madrid website. Frustrate podcast as well. Of course, Pere Valverde was a huge part of the equation. Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast on a Saturday where the sun is shining at the Bernabeu, an early kickoff. We are officially past the final hurdle before the Champions League second leg against Liverpool looms. We got past this little banana peel, a team that is trying their best to stay out of the relegation zone. It is an early kickoff. It's the game before the Champions League. All the, the recipe of the banana peel was right there. And we had a little mini slip, but we rebounded, jumped over the banana peel, and now we're in the clear. Six points now behind Barca in a league that, in my opinion, is still lost, but the pressure is on a little bit before they go to San Mames tomorrow. And, yeah, we're here. We're here to talk about it all, break it down. Round of three, Espanol one. Matt Wilsey is here as well. Matt, how you doing? Hey, John, doing well. Yeah, I think this this was an important victory just for the simple fact that if you want any chance at La Liga, you have to get these three points and then see, let's see what happens tomorrow and then how we're looking heading into Clasico. Um, I think like you, uh, look, there's a little bit of hope, but I think just keep your expectations low and I think we'll be better off at this point. Um, we have to be foot perfect in order to win La Liga, and we haven't proven that we can do that. And Barcelona have just been the more consistent team over this season. So, um, not holding my hopes up, but hey, this was an important win. We obviously Espanol got that early goal, and it set some nerves in, but um, the team eventually got going. Let's see what happens tomorrow, and just leave it there. We don't need to go into any other discussion about the title race at this point. Let's just see what happens tomorrow. Yeah. Um. So. I have a gripe with these early kickoffs. It's bittersweet. It's great because we finished work early. And it sucks because I just know, like I pencil it in, it's we're always half asleep. We're kind of half asleep yeah. anyway to start any game, but I feel like we're just like 75% asleep. And I think we saw it in the first eight to 10 minutes. Really, the response after the Jose Lugo was actually quite good, I, I will say. Um, but it is kind of this source of pain for me, Matt, that we have to concede to do something. It's like the the meme of like the, the little stick character poking with the stick, do something. That's us for any time until, like, until we go behind. The urgency is just isn't there. Uh, so, you know, all around the world, we're virtually all half asleep watching the game to begin with. I can't imagine what they're what they're feeling on the field. It feels like they're extra asleep. It wasn't until the Vinicius goal where I actually woke up. So talk us through the first eight minutes up until the point where Espanol scored the, the opening goal of the game. What did you see that was wrong? And feel free to take it as far back as the lineup if you want. If you want. Yeah, I think, honestly, Espanol should have kept that the way they were playing the first 10 minutes of that match, if they just kept that going and didn't play with the fear and kind of started to just defend with six in the back outside their 18-yard line, I think they maybe would have at least put up a better fight or gotten some sort of result out of this game um, because they were, I mean, they had more of the ball. We were struggling to get out of our own half in the, um, in those first 10 minutes. I thought, they actually did a decent job of pressing us and they weren't just sitting back. Um, and you know what they did really well, um, which again, they stopped doing later in the game was they kept hitting long diagonal balls, either towards Kamavinga or towards Carvajal. It was both fullbacks they were targeting and they would hit these long diagonal switches to the weak side. And it, it worked nearly every time. And obviously we saw what happened with Kamavinga um on the opening goal i think that's to the point we've made and talked about before kian is like when you put a player in that position when they actually have to have the tactical and positional understanding and it's little things like um 
body shape and the angles which you approach the ball and keeping your eye on both the man and the ball, checking your shoulder, like those little things, Kamavinga is just not going to know because he's never played the position. And so those are the things that we've often talked about when saying, yes, he looks really good there um, when we're on the ball and in attacking positions. But if you play against a team that is going to exploit your back four or is going to put you under a little bit more pressure and you have to play like a traditional back four, Kamavinga is not necessarily the guy you want there because of things like you saw today on that open ball. Um, and I think he obviously, he misread the flight of the ball. He got his body positioning wrong. Um you were able to slip through beautiful cross and Jose Lu just great finish. And if you rewind even further, it actually starts with Chua Many dwelling on the ball a little bit. And I thought this was a really good, after last week, me kind of criticizing Chua Many. I, I was waiting was a really for that. Game from him. Wow, we're, uh, <laughs> this is like five minutes into the podcast. Chua Many took this long to get brought up by you. Your arch, ne- your arch nemesis, <laughs> Chua Many. Were you ready to throw a party? You, when you're you creating an agenda mistake? of me against Chua Many, man. You're the, yeah. No, no, no. Um, but I think, yeah, obviously he got caught dwelling on the ball. He, that wasn't the only time in this match. Um, I thought he kind of over dribbled, but um, Espanol capitalized. They play that long diagonal ball. Kamavinga misreads it. And then um, great finish. And Militao was a little bit, I mean, it's hard to criticize Militao on that. But if you go with Carlo's line of being a pessimistic defender, um, I think he was a little too optimistic that we would get that, we would be able to clear it or at least get the ball or he could get there in time. And Jose Lu just, had the first three yards on him and so um was able to to get in front yeah i mean i saw a little bit of uh blame thrown around towards Militao on that goal and i think he's the last person to blame in part because what happens when you lose the ball in midfield is that nobody's in position to really recover so everyone has to scramble and Militao just doesn't get there in time the kamavinga thing is not too shocking i mean you described it as as someone who actually played left back, you know, you were a left back. So you kind of know when the ball is hit at that, you know, diagonal angle coming towards you, you got to read it better than that. And Kamavinga, it's not a surprise that he would struggle with the positioning side of things. I, again, I think Kamavinga left back, the the struggles with him are more positional than the, his inability to, to play defense. He can play defense. Obviously, he's a great tackler. He's good on one-on-one situations defensively. But it's the positioning. And I think teams, Espanol did it um, as they should because the scouting report should read if you're playing against Kamavinga left back to play those balls and try to take advantage of his positioning. I guess it is a little bit surprising that they didn't really go after that much after the goal that Jose Luis scored, who, by the way, is his seventh goal against Real Madrid now. I think he he really hates us. Um, so you can kind of pencil in from for all future games if you're making bets. Jose Lu to score against Real Madrid is pretty safe. Uh, but they didn't they didn't really take advantage of that much after that. And I think in part it it had to do with Real Madrid waking up a little bit. And by a little bit, I, I I'm underselling it. I think they actually woke right up. And Vinicius, who up until his goal was playing quite well, I thought. Um, one of the things that I liked about Vinicius' performance tonight. Uh, and I don't think it was perfect, but Espanol did that thing that every team does, and they doubled him, and sometimes tripled and quadrupled him. If he recognizes that early, we have open players in the box, and that was uh, there was one where he found Carvajal, and there was another one I think it was Fede, kind of just on the right side in the box, and he recognized that well. The goal was amazing because, uh, well, it's just an incredible goal. Like he just cuts in, cuts in, cuts in, and then perfect shot to the far post, low and hard. I it was surprised because Diego Martinez, Espanol's coach after the game, was I felt a little bit too harsh on his team in that moment because he was talking about like, you know, we we had to double, we knew that, and in that moment we didn't do it well enough. I watched that replay numerous times to see if there was much that Espanol could have done differently in that sequence. And they're sending, there's a bunch of bodies like blocking his angle. And Vinicius just found the one sliver of space, the one out of 100 um, possibilities that he could have just placed it perfectly. And he did. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't a terrible defensive sequence from Espanol. I thought it was just a moment of genius from Vinicius and it was an amazing shot. 
And Matt, from there, I thought we just, we never really looked back. I don't think we went into like Armageddon mode and we're amazing, but we limited Espanol's chances in transition. Our defense in transition was, was holding up just fine. And the only time that maybe Espanol kind of ventured out a little bit was the last 15 minutes or so of the game where they tried to bring the line higher. They tried to take advantage of some set pieces. But ultimately, I thought after that bending goal, we we looked pretty comfortable. Yeah, I mean, Espanol pretty much bunkered in after they scored. And they literally, I counted, a flat back six just outside their 18. Um, so you talk about trying to beat a low block, and that's something we, we constantly talk about and have to play against. This was one of those moments. And we needed a little bit of individual brilliance to kind of wake us up and get us out of our funk. And Vinicius Jr. did that once again. He did it against Liverpool. And he did now against uh, Espanol to kind of wake the team up and bring us back into it. Um, and that's that's the type of thing your star player does. So um, one thing I'll say, having just talked about Kamavinga, is there's pros and cons to Kamavinga at left back. And the, one of the major pros is it frees Vinicius. It, his numbers shoot up. He takes more uh, touches in the box. He takes more shots. Um, he receives more passes further up the field. Like all his offensive metrics go up when he plays with Kamavinga. And if you notice on that goal, yes, he had three players around him, but Kamavinga overlaps and he drags away. I think it was Cabrera just for a little bit, just like gave Vinicius just that incremental, slight incremental space to be able to have a little bit more room. And it still wasn't much room, but it was a little bit more room to operate. Um, and that's the difference. Like, that's why I think ultimately the left back that does the the quote unquote starting left back in the future needs to have this part of the game polished and um, be able to really provide overloads, be an offensive outlet for Vinicius. You and I talked about how when you look at Arsenal and Saka and how they free him up, you've got Odegaard, you've got Ben White, you've got others like just constantly overlapping, underlapping, just trying to take bodies away and free space for him so he can go 1v1 or even 1v2 because you know he's good enough to do that. And so um, I hope to see more of that with Vinicius. And I think, like, if Fran Garcia gets a chance, like, he probably is. I mean, he's a guy who's gets into the final third. He's constantly overlapping. He's got that athletic ability. We'll see if he's got the level to be at Real Madrid and whether or not he could be a starter. But He's definitely a guy who fits more of that bill. So it'll be interesting to see how he does next season. But just want to kind of point that out on Kamavinga with that overlap on the goal. Yeah, Fede was another one who made an underlap run, I think, on that goal too, to free up a little bit of space. But again, I think that was obviously all Vinny. But your point about those runs and the overloads, uh, like people often ask, well, what can you do to improve Mendy offensively? He is who he is. He's like, what, almost 30 now. And the answer is like, I, I don't think anyone's asking him to just all of a sudden download talent and be more talented offensively. What he can do is just make those runs, even if he doesn't get the ball. It kind of goes with Carvajal too. Like Carvajal, who's been struggling so much offensively, he can do the same on the other side. Um, that fluidity you speak of, like that you know Arsenal had with Saka and stuff, and everyone's flying around, moving, dragging defenders away, opening, you know, shooting lanes for Saka while he cuts in. Some of that fluidity was present in Real Madrid's second goal where somehow Chiumeni is the one who finds himself in the left half space. And uh, sorry, I'm sorry that he had such a great assist, Matt. I'm sorry. I hope it's not affecting your day too badly, but the it was a great pass. Um, it's not really something I think of when I think about. You're never going to let this go. Are you, uh, you're not going to let It's me. over now. <laughs> it's over. I mean, you're, you're just a hater now. Um, Incredible pass, but but like that. So from Vinicius's goal to Militao's goal, and really up until halftime, we upped the pressure. Um, we were counter pressing. We were pinning Espanol deeper and deeper, and you know, just in the build up to the Militao goal, we had them basically all in their box, poorly defended by Espanol. Has to say, I mean, no one even cared to even look where Militao was on the far post. But Chumeni's pass was brilliant. Militao's header was great. We can talk about that. I also just wanted to point out that Militao continues to be awesome, right? I mean, he's just looks so good right now. Undroppable. Our best defender. I was happily proven wrong. I was questioning whether 
he should be starting over Rudiger after we signed Rudiger. I thought maybe Rudiger and Alba would be a better pairing. Um, I was wrong about that. Militao has been amazing. Continues to be amazing. Undroppable. Yeah, Mel- yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I was of that camp too because I thought, oh, Rudiger and Alaba, you got two great progressive passers, guys who could play under pressure. And man, Militao is just having a lights out season. And what he has this year and what we criticized him for last year was consistency. And he's been week after week, consistent, consistent, consistent. And I think that's the biggest difference this year. And even... but. Not only that, but like I think on the ball, he's improved pretty dramatically. Um, and his comfort in playing yep. that super high line. Like if you looked at him today, he was he was for the most part almost on the opposition's eighteen rather than our eighteen for most of the game. And so I think that's really that's that's standout for for me town. He's he's got that comfort now, and I think he is one of the best center backs in the world. Um, I wouldn't trade him really for anyone at this point. I would I wouldn't trade Militao for anyone. And um he's got everything you look for, the speed, the athleticism, the ability to hit long diagonal passes, aggressive, great 1v1 defender. I mean he's 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 the total package. So really happy for Militao. And now he's scoring all these headers. I mean he's taking over from the mantle from Ramos, scoring headers. He's got four in La Liga, the most of any player in the league. And I think that's and obviously he scored a header against Liverpool. So I think, let's see if he, I don't know how many, we got to look up and see how many Ramos had in one season, how many header goals Ramos had in one season, but Militao may break the record. And so that was one thing I, I've i criticized him for in the past too, was like, we call him Air Militao and he would get on the end of so many set pieces, but I felt like he always missed. This year they're going in. This year he's finally heading those all in. And so I'm, I'm happy for him. It's It's a massive weapon because, you know, really, Ramos was a source of offense for us. As great as he was defensively, he was flying through the air. He got on the end of so many headers. Obviously, the goal tally is a little bit conflated with all the penalties he was taking after Cristiano left. So it'd be interesting to kind of break it down and see how many were headers, how many were penalties. Having Militao score headers relatively regularly now, I mean, from from defense to to actually just provide us with that extra up is, is huge. I'm also waiting for Rudiger to start scoring more. I think he scored one, if I'm not mistaken, but he's also, Rudiger's getting on the end of a lot of offensive headers and he's just going just wide. So if he can start scoring too, it'll be huge. But that that was the main strength we, talk, we talked about. If like you pair Rudiger and Militao, there is the aerial ability. Um, and yeah, Militao has been amazing. You You said you wouldn't swap him for anyone. I wouldn't either. Um, I, I think he's the best center back in the world right now. Just going back for a second to Kamavinga and left back, the games that you can get away with Kamavinga left back, you know, are probably games like this and some other games we've seen in the past results. The one I think you can't get away with it is Liverpool on Wednesday. Uh, because, you know, the, as weird as Liverpool are beating Manchester United 7-0 and then losing to Bournemouth today, uh, Salah and Trent together on that right side obviously is on a big Champions League night where they have to play their best. It's not some... I wouldn't want Kamavinga in that position there. So where do you stand on that? Ferland Mendy is apparently back and Ancelotti has said that he's ready. I think it'd be a little bit too crazy to start him right away, right? Yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So it has to be Nacho. I don't... I don't yeah, I think it's going to be... Nacho at left back, Rudiger at center back. Um, I think I think Chuamani is probably going to start in midfield with Cruz and Modric, and then I think Rodrigo is probably going to be benched for Benzema, and you'll have Vinny, Benz, and uh, Fede up top. I think that's probably going to be our lineup for for Liverpool. Um, Nacho, who obviously had an amazing first leg at Anfield at left back. Um. You just kind of mentioned who you think is going to start in midfield. I kind of I, I want to bring in some just something disappointing that Carlo said after the game that you know kind of explaining Ceballos' drop off in minutes and he was like, well, you know, at that time Modric was not a hundred percent, Cruz was not a hundred percent, and now they are. And now it just seems like Ceballos kind of got brushed aside. Kind of disappointed in that, and I also I'm not sure. As much as I think 
as much as I love Chiu Meni, it's really hard for me to see Kamavinga not play that game. Would you? I don't think Kamavinga is the best defensive midfielder we have, but I don't want to bench him either. And I thought, apart from the first 20 minutes at Anfield, he was amazing there too. I, I, I kind of worry about that aspect. I mean, look, we have a three-goal cushion, so maybe it's not that end of a big a deal, but it, it it's something that I it's feel it feels weird. I don't want to I don't think Rodrigo should be benched based on merit, neither do I think Kamavingo yeah. should be benched based on merit. Yeah, I agree with you. Um I just think my assumption is we're probably gonna sit in and counter and it's not gonna be quite as open as a game as it was um uh, in liverpool and yeah. i think when you're trying to be positionally disciplined to i take two of many over kamavinga in that type sure. of scenario so, um, well, yeah yeah so I, I i but i agree with you like i don't think either of those guys deserve to be benched um i've been pretty vocal about my thoughts on rodrigo and how he brings something different to the attack and um you need him to help kind of relieve Vinicius from time to time um, and speaking of Rodrigo, I thought he was good in this game. Like I thought he was very unlucky not to get a goal. Yeah. Obviously hit the crossbar from that free kick. Um, he had that one where he made the near post run and uh, nearly one time finished it. Um, and I just love how he is so comfortable dropping into pockets of space centrally, really, really tight areas and just little flicks, one touch stops it on the sole of his foot, holds off a defender feeds the person closest to him and then peels off, makes another run. Like I love when he does that. He, he does have a touch of Benzema to him when he does that type of stuff. Um, and you can see he constantly looks for quick one, twos combinations to get through. Uh, even when he drifted out to the right, I, he wasn't very successful with his take ons, but I like his intent and I like that he goes after it and tries it. Um, I'd rather that than just play the ball lateral or play the ball backwards. And so, um, I think he does bring a different dimension and adds kind of or, or relieves the responsibility on Vinicius. And that's why I like him in the attack, but just got a feeling that Carlos going to go with kind of his go-to lineup in these types of scenarios. Um, book it here. We're going to go with that go-to lineup, go down three goals and then come up Ming and Rodrigo are going to come save us off the bench along with Ceballos. Um, and then we're going to say, see it work. But on Rodrigo, I thought he was great too. The one, um, my complaint is actually not, it's not with him. It's that I, I would like to see us get him more involved collectively because he had, at halftime, I noted this, he had half the amount of touches that Vinicius did. And every time, the limited times he had the ball, he did good stuff with it. And I would like to see us get him get him involved more. I, I feel like he should be more of a, a source of offense for us and not just kind of the sporadic guy who sometimes gets it and does something well. Um, I would like to see more involvement from him because every time he was involved, he looked good. He should, I don't know if you agree with this, but I, I think he should be taking any free kick from that side. If he's on that field, I think he's our best, best bet. Yeah, I agree. I okay. mean, think back to his, uh, his debut in preseason when he scored that goal yeah. free kick against Bayern Munich. And also, we just don't really have anyone else who can hit them at this point directly. Yeah. Um, Ancelotti said, going back to the Chu many thing, Ancelotti said after the game that these games aren't really for Chu many. Games where we have to have the ball and break down the opponent don't really suit him. And he's more suited for games that we need, like, defensive presence. Um. I thought that was interesting. I feel like he goes out of his way a lot to, to call out too many for random things. I don't know what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's weird. <laughs> I I don't I don't get it either. I mean, I think in this scenario he was directly asked about it, right? But still, I think yeah. it's it's a little bit strange cuz he doesn't do that for other players. Um, um but yeah, it seemed to yeah, like think ahead. like if if Liverpool if we're going to play counterattack against Liverpool then it's a no-brainer that Ancelotti is going to start him in that game, probably. Yeah, 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 I think so. <laughs> One thing I was thinking about, Kian, and this is kind of like a, a tangent, but um, with our recent run of poor results and our lack of goals scored, I mean, obviously today we finally got goals um, from open play, but previously 
it was only Alvaro in our last three games where we scored. So I was kind of thinking about some of the differences from last year. And I actually think it's the players gave us more defensive solidity, solidity allowed us to um, have more offensive freedom. And so what I mean by that is like you, we have from almost all this season, we've taken out pillars. Obviously Casemiro has gone a pillar. Alaba, who was one of our best players last year, has been injured for most of the second half of the season. And yeah. Mendy, the same. You take out those three players from this team from last year, like they're not major offensive, um, besides Alaba, like they're not major offensive contributors, but they do so much defensively that they can free the rest of the team. And I think that's that was something I was thinking about is like you really miss those pillars. You miss those guys because – they're, they they were so important and and it allows the rest of the team to kind of do their thing. And uh, I think that's one other thing to note besides like obviously Benzema being a little bit off form and Vinny being scouted. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. Like I'd be curious to look at the numbers and I actually might just look them up, but like where are where our goals per 90? How do they compare this year to last year? Because it seems like Everything, the narratives and our eye test tells us the team has regressed offensively since last season, partly because Benzema and Vinicius have. But then... Uh, we've scored... I mean, the one thing I do know is we've scored more goals in Barcelona. We're, we're the top goal scorers in La Liga. Which yeah. <laughs> they surprise people. Yeah. Um, I, I'd have to... Yeah, I'd have to look... Even the, But even the thing is that Vinicius's numbers surprise people too. So do Benzema's. Because um, Vinicius... Vinicius is one goal away from 20. Yeah. Has he season. already surpassed what he scored last year? Uh, he hasn't surpassed it yet, no. But he's going he to, basically. Like yeah. He's on uh, So, So that that's the regression of Vinicius Jr. Is his regression is <laughs> he scores more goals than last year. Um. Yeah, I'll look it up uh, before the podcast is over. Just curious, like where the what the numbers say about our offensive efficiency. Forget what we see, but I'm do just know, curious to see what our production actually is. Do you know who our top goal scorer is in 2023, the calendar year 2023? Vinicius. I'll give you a clue. He's also the person that's probably next. If if he renews, is next in line to be captain in 2025. Benzema. Marco Asensio. <laughs> what? Have really? you thought about that fact? Have you thought about the fact that Marco Asensio is probably in line, if he renews, is in line to be captain by as early as like 2025? Because uh, no. Kareem, Modric, Nacho, they'll all be gone. Carvajal may or may not be here. And Asensio is next in that line. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I'm su- I'm surprised that he has the most goals. Um, but look, like I wrote about, so like I wrote about um, all the expiring contracts uh, yesterday or two days ago for the site. Everyone can go read that if they want. There's there's a couple of features. One of them, Matt also has a big feature on Benzema replacements and possible options. And the sense you, I said like if I still wouldn't renew him. I th- I've thought a lot about this. I've I've kind of changed my stance from apathetic and neutral to I think I would decide against renewing him. And these goals against Espanyol and Mallorca and Elche or whoever he's scoring all these goals against that you just talked about, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't change my mind, partly because he's going to demand a lot of money. And when we're talking about all these salaries and the problem with allocating salaries, we're always scared about big salaries. The, like... If the option is, for example, Arribas on a minimal deal or Asensio on a huge deal, I kind of lean towards Arribas because I kind of interested in developing him. Asensio, but the thing is, like, I'm not mad if Asensio renews at all because I know he's going to contribute like 10 to 15 goals a season in these games where you need them. And I actually do think you need him in those games because we complain so much about like, okay, well, Real Madrid, they get up for the big games, but we, they don't get up for these little games. And Asensio provides goals in those games where you need to win. So I, I'm not actually against it. But if I had to lean one way or the other, I'd, I'm not too excited about renewing him. Um, 
How many goals do you think Benzema has scored this season? Don't look. I know you you already have it open. You even glanced I, at your screen. No, I haven't looked. I haven't looked. No, no, no. I haven't looked. I'm going to guess like 14. 17 goals. Ooh. This is another weird one. Yeah, like I, mean, I, well, I mean, he scored PKs, but, how many, but still. He's had like six penalties, right? Yeah, but you got someone's got to convert them. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Uh. I wanted to talk to you about uh, a few things that are beyond this game, but um, we were just talking about what were we talking about before that? The goal, Militao goal. No. And then I brought up the Casemiro Mendy Alaba point. Hmm. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, Well, why don't we just talk about the rest of the game until I remember, and then we can talk about some other things that I want to talk to you about, maybe surprise you with even. But um, I have I have a complaint about the subs, mainly one sub. I don't understand the, what what this Alvaro like thing is. Yeah. What's the point? Like you're just hurting Castilla now. That's the thing. I thought Chris. Chris brought up this great point on Twitter where he said, because um, Castilla are actually on like a mini losing streak right now. They could clearly use Alvaro. So either play him or don't, because right now he's not really helping you either way. Like, what's okay, you want him to come on for five minutes at the end of a La Liga game. What's the point? He's just a filler to basically waste some time in injury time to come on at the end. I kind of got excited for Vinicius getting subbed. I was like, oh, finally getting rest. And I looked at the clock. It was minute 90. And Alvaro comes in and I was like, oh, so the this is the classic two-minute Alvaro camp cameo for what? Like, let him just stay with Casilla if he's going to do this. I'm all for promoting Alvaro and giving him minutes, but I don't understand if you're not actually using him, you're hurting Castilla more than anything. Yeah, there's, there's no... It doesn't really make sense at this point because Carlo now has consistently only... Put him on it. Like, I don't think he's come on earlier than the 85th minute. So, um, that's where we're at with Alvaro. I don't like even today. I was looking at like when they went to that flat back six and we were looking for avenues, and there was some cross like the team actually actively did not cross because every time somebody picked their head up, there's nobody in the box. So, yeah, he could have been useful in this one, I think, even earlier. Obviously, we we got the result, but he could have been useful. Why not test him? I know Ewan was pretty vocal about it, too. He's like, what other games are you going to test this guy if you don't test him now? Yeah. Um, so that that's something that uh, I took issue with. Um, I don't understand what's happening there. So what else did you have for this game? Um. I mean, the only other thing I feel like big moment was obviously the Nacho run to Asensio goal. Yeah. Um, and just, I don't know. I love Nacho. I think, I think I'm, he just continue. He's such a exemplary player. Like he just continues to, to do so many of the little things right. And like puts in kind of like Mourinho used to talk about Arbeloa, like saying, you'll never, you may not get, may not always get like a nine out of ten performance from him, but you'll always get a seven. Like you know what you're gonna get, a six or seven from him, and he's gonna be solid. And I feel like that's what you get from Nacho. No matter how long you leave him out in the cold, no matter how long he's, what position he has to play in, um, he just does a pretty good job and does puts in a good shift. And even at 33 years old now, like it's crazy to think about that Nacho's 33 years old, but he still looks just as spryly and fast as he always did. Like he doesn't look like Carvajal who's lost a step. Like Nacho still looks pretty just yeah. as fast to me. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, it, It's interesting. Like, I mean, the, the assist was amazing. He, cause he actually like broke lines. Like it wasn't just a run where no one was marking him. He actually got past someone. He dropped his shoulder, carried the ball. He did that multiple times in this game too. He, he did it from the center back position too. Yeah. And uh, and he's been doing that sporadically this year, um, which is nice to see. So the assist was amazing. He said after the game that he got goosebumps when um, the fans were chanting for him to stay. The end. It's nice. So I, I hope he's getting the message. Um, but I, you know, but hey, man, like he's been playing a lot. I understand it's mostly down to necessity, but uh, I think he's invaluable. 
especially like the way Alaba's yeah. uh, injuries have gone. So I have it here because I was curious. I looked it up to see what the numbers say about our offense this season compared to last season. Um, last season, goals per 90, 2.1. This season, one point, uh, 1.9, I think. I just closed it. So last season, statistically, we were scoring more goals per 90. But, uh, yeah. Um, anything else from the game? Um, I don't think so. Anything else? Yeah, you know, one thing that I liked from this match, um, mm. just kind of quickly scanning the lineup was, um, he didn't have, obviously didn't have much to do, but I thought Courtois a couple times in this game, did those long, like really quick transition, long throws almost to the halfway line to try and release Rodrigo and Vinicius. I think that's a good tactic. Like, I really yeah. like that. If we can, his throws down, are amazing. He's, he's incredible that he can sling those. Yeah. Didn't he have uh, one? Wasn't one of our goals against Manchester City last season because of one of his throws in extra time? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, his throws are amazing. Uh, better than the ball. I mean, he's actually, I think, improved quite a bit. And the numbers actually back yeah. this up with the ball at his feet. But he did have one yeah. today where he put Cruz under unnecessary pressure, and there was nothing Cruz could have done oh, yeah, with it. Yeah. Uh, Cruz, by the way, casual thirteen of thirteen long balls, easy, easy work for him. Um, most touches of anyone on the field. Uh, did you watch this new documentary? Um, I've seen the first two episodes. What did you think? I have only seen the first episode. <sighs> Uh, I'll be honest. I I was hoping for a little bit more. Um, just like I want something that's on the the quality and pedestal of this. I I've told you about it before. The Formula One thing yeah. on Netflix, like they did an incredible job. Like they got so many people into Formula One. Mm. Um, and like I now understand Formula. I don't watch it, but like I could easily, and I really enjoy like the storylines and the narratives and like how they did it. And you get to know the people. And I just feel like this caters too much to like Real Madrid fans and so like already folks who are who are football fans. And like so like I watched this and I kind of wanted to watch it with the idea of would I could I show this to my wife and would she be interested? Because I always want to find a way to like get her into football and yeah. into Real Madrid. And I was thinking to myself, no way, like she'll be bored by this. She won't like it um yeah and like the formula one thing they did the way they do it is anybody can get into it and like it's that's what i think we need and that's what i think um like that's what's lacking but what the one thing i will say that i like about it is real madrid's clearly trying to appeal to a global audience and the english audience having done this all in english um having beckham as a narrator in the opening uh having the tifo guy as the narrator um like, I think they're clearly trying to expand past just, like, catering to the Spanish fans. So I think that's one really positive. Yeah. I mean, I just kind of – I thought, honest, my honest opinion, I thought it was mediocre at best. I My expectations were a little bit higher. I felt it was a little bit – there was a lot of fluff. There was a lot of people who don't need to be part of this documentary speaking, with all due respect. Like – yeah. At maximum, I would have just kept Sid and Al, like have those two guys talk and no one else needs to really be there. Like there was just a lot of people just like spoon feeding us this like, this is what Classico means, you know, La Liga yeah. is this. Like, okay, thanks. What does this yeah. have to do with the comebacks? Like it was it was spoon feeding us like we were five-year-olds and it was a little bit lame. Actually, yeah. the, the most interesting part was when the players spoke, I actually was impressed with the players speaking because they were actually yeah. telling us like it was real when they were talking. It was cool following Carlo Ancelotti around the training ground. That joke he made yeah. about like, this is how we score. The ball goes here, ball goes there and into the back of the net. Uh, one thing that that story about Carlo, uh, how he called Real Madrid asking for if we, yeah. I, I didn't know that. I don't think I knew that. Unless I forgot about it, but that was news to me. Like that—that's how it happened, right? Uh, I know I—I I had heard that before. 
Um, I just didn't, I think like how quickly the timeline was and stuff like that. I didn't realize, um, it was literally just like over a weekend. Um, but I agree with you. I think like, I like the players interviews. Like I really liked hearing from Benzema and Modric because you could, you could see and hear like their mentality. You could see like Modric refused to believe anyone's better than them. He's like, no, we'll beat them. We'll crush them when we go to the Bernabeu. And Benzema's like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll we'll beat them. Like they just had this mentality, um, and you can see it in those games. And to hear them actually vocalize it and hear it from themselves, that that was cool. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Otherwise, not that much. Like I was expecting more behind the like more kind of exclusive footage. Right. I think the one thing that I liked was when Ancelotti after the game they showed him like going to the uh, dressing room. He like sits down. He's just like, I'm dead. I'm dead. How can how can I live after that? How can I survive? That was unbelievable. Um, that was cool. But I wanted more of that type of stuff too. Um, yeah. So, well, it just the images feels and like stuff we've already seen. Exactly. Like it felt like uh, we we're watching uh, someone who made a Twitter video compilation. You know, like there's yeah. that there's that account Maridisa TV. I think it's called who puts these like really dramatic footage yeah. of like the comebacks and stuff. Like I enjoy those, but like. I can just watch those, <laughs> you know, I don't yeah. need to necessarily put it on the big screen, but like, yeah, that's what I felt. I felt like it wasn't anything new and it wasn't really, uh, they didn't, it wasn't a great like story. What carried the documentary so far, again, I've only seen the first episode. What carried it is, is like literally the story. The story is Real Madrid made epic comeback, but that's down to the content, not necessarily how they presented it. Um, and, but one thing that I found interesting was when Casemiro was talking about playing PSG, I was kind of surprised where he said, we're not as good as these guys. Like, he was like, there's no yeah. way. Like, that's one thing that I was like, oh, that's interesting that he really felt that way. Because I, I I wonder, like, what he and the players felt at halftime against PSG because they got destroyed again in that first half in the second leg. How demoralized yeah. were they and how much did they really believe it was going to happen? Because they felt like they weren't as good as them. Um, or at least Casemiro yeah. did. I don't know. Um, th- that that part was interesting to me a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, just one more thing that there's a lot of discussion about what's going to happen to Barcelona, and they were, you know, obviously Real Madrid finally put out a statement today. A lot of this stuff goes over my head because people want us to comment on it, and. Uh, you know, I, I just mentioned, Lucas and I both mentioned that we don't think anything's actually going to happen to Barcelona. And the sporting punishment side of this is also a little bit tricky because this is now on the legal side. It's a government. Um, the government is is the one who's who did the audit and and, and prosecuted that. And, and, and Tebas has said, you know, three years has passed. We can't do anything sporting wise. So I don't I don't know what actually gets punished other than a legal like fine or whatever. I don't know if that trickles into La Liga feeling pressured or being able to do anything or even if they are able to, if they actually will punish Barcelona. It, it's hard for me to see it go that far. But one thing when it comes to the legal terms, it goes over my head. Um, I had I had a lengthy conversation with Arancho Rodriguez after the game today. Because she had put out the report in Cope about, you know, Real Madrid wanting to pri- to privately prosecute Barcelona and, and what that actually means. Because a lot of people feel that it means that Real Madrid are basically severing their relationship with Barcelona at this point. No Super League, you, like the relationship's over. And from what I understand, what she told me was that, no, that's not what this means. It What essentially means is that Real Madrid this whole time did not join the rest of La Liga teams in that statement that was made a while back because they wanted it to the prosecution to officially happen before getting involved. And now that it has happened, they basically want, they basically have now put out a stance and like, okay, so we are going to um, privately uh, investigate this or not investigate, prosecute this or or whatever, whatever the terminology was. Again, sorry, I, this is not me speaking about tactics or anything squad building. It's about legal terms, which is not my expertise at all. Um, but what essentially is that them being able to do this, it means they will be have to be informed about what's actually happening. And that is a major part of putting out this statement and wanting to um, look at this privately. And so that I just wanted to put that out is that that's my understanding and I'm speaking to someone really much smarter about this than me. Arancha was a great friend of the show. And we kind of spoke about it and she filled me in and 
explain to me some of the stuff that she understands with this. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add. Um, maybe we can get Gabe on at some point. I know we do have lawyers who That's actually are patrons say. as well. We have we literally have lawyers uh, on our managing major Patreon. We can bring them in. We can bring Gabe in. But um, did you have anything you wanted to add on this? Uh, the only thing I was going to add is that I think it's kind of sad how cynical we all are that we don't think anything's going to happen. Um, like even you look at almost every Real Madrid fan who comments on Twitter, they're all just like, nothing's going to happen to Barcelona. Like they're going to get away with this. And yeah. I think that, I mean, I don't disagree with it, but it's just sad. Like it shouldn't the integrity and ethics of the game. Like that's all you have. And once that goes out the door, like I was always one who said, Oh, I don't believe this Spanish, the Spanish media with the referee conspiracies. Like I always thought it was overblown. And now look at it. Like I guess there was some truth to it. Um, and uh, and maybe that's more of a cultural thing because maybe they always doubted that like something like this could always happen. And I just didn't, I refused to believe it, but um, now we're seeing it firsthand and it's, it's, it's crazy. Like this, the thing that frustrates me too, is I've mentioned this on Twitter is like, I just feel like this isn't getting the um, media attention, at least outside of Spain that it should be. And like, you're, you're not seeing it anywhere and it's ridiculous. Like this is, huge news should have huge ramifications and we're just really not like my my brother who's more of a casual like real madrid fan and la liga fan like he wouldn't know about this unless i told him um and like that's like, that's kind of the reality of the situation and um like that's i don't think that's i, I just think that's wrong and the other thing i think about with this whole situation is that this how it's sad that this is happening is because honestly if something does happen to barcelona let's say they get um relegated or even more financial implications or whatever it is like can't play in champions league that stuff i'm fine with but like if it went as bad as them getting relegated that would be hugely detrimental to la liga um and could it would be detrimental to real madrid too in terms of like commercial revenue and tv broadcast rights and stuff like that um so like there's there's negative impacts to real madrid as well um if if it does get as bad as it could get but at the end of the day i want justice to be served like i don't care about that stuff i want justice to be served and if barcelona cheated which it 100 looks like they did then every whatever needs to be done folks who need to go to jail they relegation points deducted huge financial fees imposed like they they need to be charged with everything um so we'll see i think this is going to probably take years to actually see any results but um we'll see what happens yeah i think i think i mean from the aspect of taking into consideration the marketability of the league um and all that stuff it's a lose-lose again barcelona gets the severe punishment um the league suffers but but at the same time you can't that can't be a reason not like you have to you have to punish them regardless yeah. like that. We can't yeah. be, we can't even be thinking about the you market. You have to have your integrity. Yeah. Yeah. But there was like a, I think it was Marco who put out an article that, you know, Barcelona may be banned from the champions league because there's a article in the UEFA rule book that says if a club has tarnished the reputation um, and it affects the champions league reputation, they have to be severed. And like, that's, fine but if, if uefa cared about that psg would have been gone a long time ago like they don't care and so unless they hate barcelona enough and their rules for barca are different than psg which is possible because barca probably are not paying uefa the way psg are and that's different this whole conversation makes me sick like the fact that you were talking about like oh you know different rules it depends on how much money you pay these guys and the corruption it's like it's just a sickening conversation to have because again we don't like expect anything to happen and I think we'll just forget about it, essentially, is what's going to... I mean, we, I mean, just like collectively, as you mentioned, not many people are picking up on it, even though it's a severe, serious case that is obviously at the federal level. Um, I guess we'll see. I don't know what else to say. We'll see. Um, I will say just like these Barca accounts that come across my timeline especially from the Churros account because the Churros account follows two people, me and Diego. And so it, the algorithm shows it what 
the people who follow and I don't like I don't really consume Twitter much. I just post and I, and I am out of there. So I, it, it mostly just shows all of Diego's follows and it's basically all these big Barca accounts on the algorithm that show here's our response to um, Barca getting accused. And it's just a huge Twitter thread of clips of Real Madrid getting favored by the referee. Like that's their response. It's like they're so they're so out of this reality. That it's like they're in a different planet, man. They, they, they're it's insane how um, they're they're taking this. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see where this goes. Uh, but the fact that Real Madrid put out a statement now is really interesting to see how that unfolds. Um, and it was just a statement to say that they're meeting. So the next statement is even more interesting, I think, when they, when they actually release that after their meeting. That'll be that'll be interesting. Uh, Matt, I got to go. You got to go. Uh, because we're fathers. And we got to take care of the kids. Uh, I'll just do some housekeeping. Tomorrow, we're doing Liverpool preview with Ryan O'Hanlon of ESPN FC. That'll be less about like tactical previews and matchups, partly because we've already done that before the first leg, and I think a lot of that stays the same. But it's just more like a conversation with a Liverpool fan between the first leg and the second leg, uh, and just talking about this current state of affairs for both teams and what it might look like on Wednesday. And of course... On Wednesday night, and by the way, tomorrow's preview is on patreon.com slash managing. And on Wednesday night, the nights we live for, one hour after the game on Zoom, patrons get a link. They join the call, and uh, we talk about the game, post-game show live. You can interact with us. It's a ton of fun. Both of those shows, patreon.com slash managing. Get in on the action. Matt, thanks, man. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Take care. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for listening, guys. And before we wrap it up here and send you along on your way, we wanted to give a quick shout out to our patrons over on patreon.com slash managingmadrid who do so much to support the show. Thank you guys for being on this journey with us and being a part of this ever-growing Real Madrid family. If you pledge $10 or more, not only do you get access to every single bonus content we do, and not only do you get guaranteed responses to your questions, but you also get a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to these $10 plus patrons as follows. Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Will Sousa, Wei Pering, Wamik Jamal, Tobias Royal Botcher, Talib Salhab, Tahmid Kalam, Sushank Damala, Sujai Wani, Sumanchu Singh, Sheikh Hatiri, Shamil, Shabal Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorsano, Samuli Justin, Samer Z. Said Mahad, Sai Mohan, Sasi Kumar, Saad Omar, Rodrigo Balmaceda, Rishi D, Phoenix, Peter Powell, Paulo Fierro, Patrick Diafari, Astro Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nicholas Moller, Nick Ribeiro, uh, and then we got Nelson Masariego, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Matthew Atkins, Martin Ridman, Magnus Lext. Logan Stahl, Leon Stavronakis, Kunal Tilakar, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Jose Cruz, John Fernandez, J- Jason Fitz, Ian Marley, Graham Gerard, Gary Cohut, Frederick Rantakiro, Frederick Sundros, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Connor Mc- McMorrow, Con P. Christian Toff, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Ashik Bashar, Arnab Mukherjee, Armin Kashi, Armando L, Anirudh Singh, Andres Silvestre, Ananya Kumar, Alex Steiberg, Alex Rose, Azaz Hussein, Adrian Rios, Adar Zalukovic, Adam Dorsey, Bella Chow, Ramtin Magrur, Manaf Al Haddad, Fabian Moreno, and Daniel Smith. We love you guys so much. Thank you, and Hala Marid. <laughs>